Hello and welcome to the Homebrew Magic Podcast. My name is Nelson and I'll be your host this evening as both Schnell and Tiege are away uh, on other business. So you got me by myself and I thought, hey, this is going to be a good time to do another deck tech. And wouldn't you know it, the Atraxa deck that I talked about last week, I finally have a finished build for. So I'm going to get into that. That's going to be the crux of this episode in a little bit. But uh, one thing I thought was interesting that I literally read right before I started recording tonight is that Theros uh, Beyond Death hasn't even shipped yet. But apparently there's been a packaging issue. Uh, the the BioBox promo is the foiled Aethrios, and apparently you're supposed to be getting a foiled Nixland as well. Uh, but the way they're being packaged right now, and the way they're going to be shipped to your LGS, is with a non-foil Nixland. So there's going to be a voucher program apparently that you need to talk to your LGS about how they're going to honor. Uh, you know if they're going to make a trade in the basic to get the what am I trying to say? To get the full art foil, or if you know it's going to be on the honor system, or you know they actually just write down what the fuck is going on and they remember who pre-ordered so that you can get it uh, when it comes in. It sounds like they're doing it one for one. So, however many uh, of the buy box promos that they have that are not foil, they should be getting the same amount of foil in. So you shouldn't have to rush to get yours replaced. But uh, something to keep in the back of your mind as we get closer and closer to that release date, uh, a little over a month from now. I- think the release weekend's the 23rd don't quote me on that because i haven't looked that up anyway so i have been up to basically just brewing uh over the past week or so since we last had a chance you know to get down and, and and record something for you guys and the brewing has just been all about this deck so the this deck is probably a little over twice as expensive as my next most expensive deck if that makes sense so i've been putting a lot of time effort thought into this anybody who's listened to the show for any amount of time especially if you listen to our earlier episodes you know that one of the things that i personally love about magic so much is is the story and the lore that goes along with the game it's it's such a rich world we've had so many cool storylines and characters uh planes that we visited and you know everything kind of all rolled up into one and I've said it before, I'll say it again now, and I'm, I'm going to say it again in the future. The whole idea of the Phyrexians and the artifice and the the completion and all the things that go along with Phyrexians, Yogmith, you know, Praetors, all that stuff is, is some of my favorite part of the lore. And I decided that I was going to take that love and turn it into a theme for an EDH deck. Now, I did not have an Atraxa until... I don't know, what was it, two years ago when the Commander Anthology 2 um, set came out and I decided, you know, I had a lot of fun playing her. The, the pre-con was fun. It, you know, the power level's good. Just a few tweaks on it make, it make it even better. But I decided I wanted to take this and build it on a theme beyond proliferate or, you know, infect or whatever. So I, I decided I was going to build an entire deck strictly around Phyrexia and the Phyrexians and Praetors and and all the things that kind of go on in that world. And I finally settled on a on a V1, if you will, of this build. And and that's what we're about to get into. Now I will say that one character does make an appearance in this deck, and that is Odric. You may know him from 
Innistrad rather than Phyrexia. And I really wanted to get this card in the deck. We'll talk about it why when we get that far. But I was I was talking to Tej and Schnell about it. You know, he doesn't really fit the Phyrexia flavor. I, I don't know if I want to put him in there, but I, I like what he can do for this deck. And Tej, you know, kind of gave me the idea and, and made the storyline... I, I should say his own rather than my own because he's the one who had the idea. And he said, you know, hey, in, in your timeline, uh, Odric, you know, based on what he can do in this deck, attracts a, you know, either had him brought to the plane or brought him to the plane. And he is helping along with the completion. And I just thought, you know, okay, he's a slave to Atraxa. He's here. What he's doing mechanically with my deck, you know, fits flavor wise with this kind of goofy little storyline that, that he came up with. And I, I thought it was awesome. I thought it justified his use in the deck. I thought it, it fit nicely into the overall theme and it was just kind of a fun way to blend, you know, a character from a different plane, a different world, a different time into the Phyrexian, you know, um, world here that I'm trying to build with this deck. So like I said, it is it is an EDH deck and Atraxa is the commander. So if anybody out there has been living under a rock forever, Atraxa is a 4-4 flying a 4-4 flying vigilance death touch and lifelink uh angel horror and she is one green one white one blue and one black to cast uh and then uh static ability at the beginning of your end step proliferate so she's awesome right especially in any sort of deck that's dealing with counters be they plus one plus one minus one minus one infect you know anything like that yeah, she can she, she proliferates at your end step so you can you can add one more of any kind of counter to any permanent and uh, players do count so if you get infect you can proliferate infect counters for those of you who may be newer to the game and uh, don't necessarily know that so very very interesting the things that she can do again this deck is is the most expensive edh deck i've ever built it's not that expensive by other people's edh deck standards you know but uh this one is going to set you back uh let's see this archideck i believe pulls from card kingdom so uh the cards from the sets that i have uh specifically in this deck is going to set you back about 1150 bucks roughly um you know depending so it is it is a bigger budget you know i think my next most expensive deck is like 500 bucks and that's my bolas discard deck that i've talked about before uh there are, there are quite a few cards that you know are very pricey in this deck that's why you know schnell had mentioned last week you know if this deck doesn't work out or it doesn't play like i want it to or i just end up not liking it very much the more i play it this deck has a ton of pieces that can easily be put into other edh decks so that's one of the ways that i was able to kind of justify to myself like okay you know it's an investment in this deck but it's also an investment just in edh in general and it is the format that i play the most it's the format i enjoy the most so i figured you know what fuck it i'm i'm gonna do it because i want to so I did. And, uh, this is, this is it. We're going to start, we're going to start with the land base. Uh, the land base is actually the least expensive part. So the land base is very, very simple. If you've played EDH for any amount of time, you probably have most of it. There are going to be a few that you might not have, um, you know, such as, well, we'll get into it when we get into it. Right. Um, the, so the first one, arcane sanctum, it, this is a tap land enters the battlefield tap, but it taps for white, blue, or black, uh, breeding pool, you know, one of the shock lands taps for blue or green, enters the battlefield tap, but shock yourself for two, and it enters untapped. Uh, command tower, add one mana of any color in your commander's color identity. Obviously, this deck is going to need some mana fixing, right? When you have a a commander who doesn't have, like, a generic mana cost, um, 
as part of their CMC and it's just specific colors, you really need to hit, especially when it's one of each color. So that's why I'm, I'm running things like Arcane Sanctum, Breeding Pool, and Command Tower here, the first three lands we talked about, because I need mana fixing and this is going to help me with that. Uh, Drawn Catacombs also in here. This is a tap land unless you control an island or a swamp and it taps for blue or black. Again, helps me with my mana fixing. I have an Evolving Wilds in here. Sack it to search your library for a basic land and put that land onto the battlefield tapped. And then you reshuffle your library. So the reshuffle helps, but then again, mana fixing, right? I can go fetch a basic of, of whatever I need. I do run a Fabled Passage in here as well. This is a new uh, rare land from Throne of Eldraine. You can tap it and sack it to search your library for a basic land card and put it onto the battlefield tapped and then shuffle your library. And then if you control four or more lands, notice it says lands, not basic lands or anything like that. So just four or more lands, you get to untap that land. So that that is definitely helpful. Uh, as far as mana fixing goes, I run a three basic forests in this deck. I run one Gavany Township. This is a land from Innistrad that taps for one generic, but for two generic, a green and a white, you can tap it and put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. So this goes great with Atrax's uh, Proliferate, right? This is a this is a great card for counter decks, plus one, plus one counter decks. And that's what this this is. Part of this is, I should say. We also run Glacial, Glacial Fortress. So this enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a plains or an island, and then it taps for a white or a blue mana. Godless Shrine, it's the Orzov, it's the black and white uh, Shockland. Hallowed Fountain, this is the Azorius, the blue and white Shockland. I do run an Ink Moth Nexus in here, and this taps for one generic mana, but you can also pay one generic mana, and it becomes a 1-1 Blink Moth artifact creature with flying and infect until end of turn. It's still a land. So this is, this along with Fable Passage, these are the pricey lands. I, I don't even know what Fable Passage is going for right now. I think it's still somewhere around 18 or 20 bucks. Uh, that, that may go down a little bit, but I'm going to guess probably not too much as, as standard goes on, just because of the fact that it's useful in any format, you know, it's, it's, it's basically a fetch land, um, you know, for all intents and purposes. So the, the, the fable passage, the ink moth nexus, and a couple others, you know, are going to be pricey. Uh, ink moth nexus is going to set you back about 20 bucks right now. I run three basic islands in this deck in isolated chapel. This is, uh, enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a plains or a swamp and it taps for the same. We do run Opulent Palace. This taps for Saltai Land, so it, it enters the battlefield tapped, but then it taps for black, green, or blue mana. Overgrown Tomb, this is the Golgari Shock Land. It taps for black and green. I have a Phyrexia's Core in here. Uh, it taps for a colorless rather than a generic, and you can pay one generic and tap it, sacrifice an artifact to gain one life. You'll see that there are artifacts in this deck and other ways to generate artifacts. I do run a Phyrexian Tower. This is another uh, more more pricey land as far as the cost of the mana base for this particular deck. This isn't like dual land pricing, but you know it's about thirteen bucks from Ultimate Masters right now. Uh, you can tap it for a colorless mana, or tap it and sacrifice a creature to add two black mana. So right on flavor with this deck, right? Phyrexian uh, in the name, sacrificing creatures. It all it all goes together. Uh, I've got three planes in the deck. I do run a uh, Reliquary Tower, so this uh, taps for a colorless mana, and it allows you to have no maximum hand size. Uh, Sandstep Citadel, this is um, an Abzan land, so it enters the battlefield tapped, and then it will tap for white, black, or green. Uh, run a Seaside Citadel, this is your Bant land, so this enters the battlefield tapped, and then will tap for green, white, or blue. 
Uh, Sunpetal Grove is in this deck. So this uh, enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a forest or a plains, and then you can tap it for a green or white mana. Uh, three basic swamps. Do you see the pattern with the basic lands? Three of each. Swamp, forest, island, plains. Uh, we do run a Temple Garden in here. This is uh, Selesnia Shockland. Taps for green and white. Temple of the False God. This is a very common uh, EDH card. It taps to add two colorless mana to your mana pool. However, you can only activate this ability if you control five or more lands. So this one is definitely better to get uh, mid to late game. You can, you know, if you got it in your starting hand, that's fine. But you might be hanging on to it for a while unless you're desperate to get something out of your hand just because you can't use it until you control five or more lands. This can count as your fifth land, uh, you know, so it may only be four turns, but Again, you do have to wait a little bit before you can use it. I uh, do run an Urborg Tomb of Yawgmith in here. This is another pricey land. It's going to set you back about 20, 21 bucks or so uh, from Ultimate Masters. And this this is a legendary land. Each land is a swamp in addition to its other land types. So this just helps with black mana fixing, which you will see as we go on. Uh, this, this deck is black mana intensive. Uh, and the last land that we run in this mana base is Watery Grave. So this is the Dimir Shock Land, uh, taps for white or black, or sorry, blue or black. Oh my goodness. Um, so that's, that's it. 36 lands in this deck right now. Again, you know, this is, this is version one. We'll see. I've, I've done a little bit of play testing online with it and the mana base has been okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of fixing between the lands, which is great. Um, but you'll see as we go on that if you don't have a decent, I, I'd say at least three lands to start with, you may want to consider seriously, um, taking a mulligan and, and seeing what you can get unless you've got some of the artifacts for, for mana fixing, uh, or ramp available to you in that starting hand, just because there's a lot of stuff in here. That's pretty mana intensive. So for those artifacts, uh, we do run Chromatic Lantern. So this is an uh, uh, um, artifact for three generic land. Uh, lands you control have tap to add one mana of any color. So this is my fixing, right? As long as I can get land, uh, or excuse me, as long as I can get uh, uh, mana on the board, right? It, it taps for any color I want it to. Uh, and then the lantern itself taps to add one mana of any color. Uh, there's a Commander Sphere in this deck, so this is a very typical Commander card. You can tap it to add one mana of any color in your Commander's color identity. This is also a 3-drop artifact, uh, or you can sacrifice it to draw a card. Going over back to the Phyrexian theme, we've got a 6-drop artifact that is Contagion Engine. When it enters the battlefield, put a minus 1, minus 1 counter on each creature target player controls. So if we're going by Tija's... Um, preferences here for edh this is a card that he may not like as much because he doesn't he you know obviously it's better if you can affect all your opponents at once rather than having to pick a target but if there's someone who's established and needs to be a target this can come in handy uh, and then for four generic uh, mana and tapping contagion engine you can proliferate and then proliferate again so this artifact obviously is very nice when paired with atraxa if you've got them both out and you activate contagion engine you're essentially proliferating three times that turn uh, and if you've got other ways to proliferate again or more then you can do it even more than those three times Next artifact we run is Mimic Vat. So this is a three-drop artifact with imprint. Whenever a non-token creature dies, you may exile that card. If you do, return each other card exiled with Mimic Vat to its owner's graveyard. And then for three generic and tapping it, you can create a token that's a copy of a card exiled with Mimic Vat. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. So this is just a way to grab something that's going to die that you want to use and abuse uh, your opponents with. So 
this is a card that he's going to see a lot of hate right away if people have artifact removal, which is actually good because there's some other stuff that's coming up here that uh, if they're going to take my Mimic Vat, I'm okay with that, even if I don't get any activations off of it, just because there's other stuff that is going to be more important to me as far as artifacts and even enchantments are concerned. So the next artifact, and one that is essential, I believe, uh, both in theme and flavor and to actually playing the deck successfully, is Norn's Annex. So this is uh, a converted mana cost of five, three generic, and two white Phyrexian mana. So Phyrexian mana, for those of you who don't know or forgot, uh, can be paid with either the color that it is, so white Phyrexian mana, obviously, with uh, white mana, um, you know, or two life for each of the Phyrexian mana symbols. So this could be three um, of any color and four life or three of any color, two life, and then a white mana, you know, however you want to do it. Anyway, what does the artifact itself do? Norn's Annex says creatures you or creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller plays a white Phyrexian mana for each of those creatures. So if you're playing somebody, I know white and EDH gets a ton of hate. So if you're playing somebody who doesn't run any white in their deck, they have to pay life in order to attack you, which is fantastic. And it's not just like to 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 be able to attack you it's for each of the creatures they want to attack you with so this card is is very good uh in this deck especially when you're playing against players who aren't playing with white because they literally have to pay with their own life in order to be able to attack you so they've got to want it bad of course there's a soul ring in here that's the the handy one drop artifact that taps for two um colorless mana we then this is this is uh the the pricey part of the artifacts here sword of body and mind is the first sword we've got so this uh equipped creature gets plus two plus two and has protection from green and blue whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player you put a two two green wolf creature token onto the battlefield and that player puts the top 10 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard so yeah we like the token but uh milling somebody for 10 is pretty awesome when you do damage to him right and like all of the other sort of a and b uh this equips for two generic mana next sword is sword of feast and famine this is a great one. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and protection from black and from green. And whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card and you untap all lands you control. So essentially, you're getting all, all mana that you've spent so far this turn back, which is fantastic. Uh, the next one is Sword of Fire and Ice. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from red and from blue. And whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, Sword of Fire and Ice deals two damage to target creature or player, and you draw a card. Now, unfortunately, this thing cannot target Planeswalkers because it doesn't specify Planeswalker, but it does allow you to ping opponents. It allows you to ping creatures, you know, do whatever you want, and it also generates card draw. This, I believe, is the most expensive sword. It's like 85 bucks right now, something like that, 80 bucks, 85. Uh, so this one is, is great. It's, it's useful in such a wide variety of decks. Uh, that's why the price is so high. Next one is Sword of Light and Shadow. So Equipped Creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from white and from black. And whenever Equipped Creature deals combat damage to a player, you gain three life, and you may return up to one creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So there's other means of recursion in this deck, but that is one of the things I love about Sword of Light and Shadow. I like the fact that you can gain three life from it. That's the, the white side of the sword, right? And then the fact that you can return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. That's obviously the black side of the sword. And something that we definitely want to be able to have the opportunity to do with this deck because opponents are going to hate a lot of the creatures that we run in here uh they're very pricey they're very powerful 
and pricey from a mana standpoint is what I'm saying. And, and they're very powerful. So any sort of recursion that we can get uh, as part of our engine is something that we really want to do. Then we've got the Sword of Sinew and Steel. This is one of the new Modern Horizon Swords. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from black and from red. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, destroy up to one target Planeswalker, which is fucking huge, and up to one target Artifact, which can also be huge in a game of EDH. So Sword of Sinew and Steel is... is a card that I'm really excited to get to play with. I opened it in my box of Modern Horizons that I bought, and I haven't had a chance to play with it yet because it didn't fit in anything. So I'm really glad that it's got a home here. I'm really excited to see how it plays. Then the next sword is the other one from Modern Horizons. This would be Sword of Truth and Justice. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from white and from blue. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature you control then proliferate so again more ways to proliferate in this deck you can see the theme you can you know what i'm doing here it's no secret and attracts a deck you want to be able to get counters and you want to be able to proliferate and proliferate as many times as you can so this sword is just another way to be able to do that and the last sword and the last artifact in the deck is everybody's favorite sword of war and peace. Uh, equipped creature gets plus two plus two and has protection from red and from white. And whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, sword of war and peace deals damage to that player equal to the number of cards in his or her hand, and you gain one life for each card in your hand. So if you've done some some card draw, you're holding stuff up because maybe you've got some really expensive stuff and not enough land in your hand or uh, uh, land on the battlefield yet to play it. You know you can you can get some decent life gain off this bad boy. I, this is a card. I like a lot. I, I think Sword of War and Peace is awesome. And and yeah, that's that's the artifact list. So I've got one copy of every sword of A and B that's been printed. Uh, took me a while to get them all. They are not cheap, and I'm really excited to be able to play with them all. Um, we'll go from artifacts to enchantments just because it makes sense to go from one to the other. So there are 11 enchantments in this deck, and we had uh, 13 artifacts. So enchantments, these are going to help us uh, in in many different ways. A little bit of uh, you know taxing the opponent in in many different ways, as you'll see. So we do run one ghostly prison. Uh, this is for two generic and one white creatures can't attack you unless their controller plays two generic mana for each creature they control that's attacking you. So this goes hand in hand. If you can get this and Norn's Annex on the battlefield, nobody's going to attack you because that's just starting to get ridiculous. The, the taxes to pay to attack you are, are fucking ridiculous. I was so happy that this was reprinted in the most recent commander, uh, uh, precon decks because it's a great card and I love to see it back, especially, you know, for commander. So really excited to run this. I, I do run a land tax in this deck. Um, so for those of you that don't know, land tax is one white mana during your upkeep. If an opponent controls more land than you, you may search your library and remove up to three basic land cards and put them into your hand, reshuffle your library afterwards. So this is a way for me to get mana fixing, hopefully early on, if I miss anything on my draws. So Say I start the game off with uh, a planes and one other land, or, or just even if it's just one land, but I have access to white and I've got a land tax, I'm not going to pitch that hand because I know that on my second turn, if somebody plays a land on turn two, which they probably will, then I'm going to be able to, on my upkeep, go grab three land. And then suddenly I'm ahead, and now my mana fixing is a little bit better, right? So I, I need this in this deck because of the fact that uh, there's some pretty specific costs in here color-wise. So this just helps me with my mana fixing. Uh, the, the next two cards, 
I'm not sure. The first one I'm definitely going to keep. I don't know about the second one. Uh, the first one, Ley Line of Anticipation. So this is the blue Ley Line for two generic and two blue. If Ley Line of Anticipation is in your opening hand, you may begin the game with it on the battlefield. So that's the cool thing about Ley Lines, right? If they're in your starting hand, you can just start the game with them on the battlefield. Don't have to pay their mana cost. Uh, and Ley Line of Anticipation says you may cast non-land cards as though they had flash. So this is like a Vidalcan Orrery, right? Um, but it's an enchantment instead of a 40 or $50 artifact. Um, so this one, I definitely want to keep in here because I like having that option. If I want it, the other one that I'm not sure if I'll cut, we'll, we'll find out once we do some more play testing is Leyline of the void. So this is the black one, too generic, too black. Again, if this is in your starting hand, you may begin the game with it on the battlefield. Uh, but this card says if a card will be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Uh, that's that's fine. It, it's it does help a lot, but you'll see it doesn't necessarily work in conjunction with some of the other things in this deck, uh, such as Shaldred Whispering One. But we'll get to that when we actually go through the creatures in this deck. Next enchantment, uh, Pattern of Rebirth. This is uh, an aura for three generic and a green. When enchanted creature dies, that creature's controller may search their library for a creature card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle their library. So this just helps with creature cycling, right? Uh, if I can get this on one of my creatures and then sacrifice it to uh, Phyrexian Tower or something else, or, or an opponent kills it, or I throw it out as a blocker and it dies, or board wipe, you know, whatever, right? If creature dies, now I can recycle it for, for something different. So I do like having Pattern of Rebirth in here. Uh, the next one is Phyrexian Arena, classic EDH card, right? Because you start with so much life. Uh, one generic and two black. This enchantment says at the beginning of your upkeep, you draw a card and you lose a life. So uh, life is a resource, and if I can draw cards with it, then I'm definitely going to do it. Because if I can get this out early game and start drawing two cards every turn, I'm already that much further ahead than everybody else at the table. So that's what I like. Uh, Phyrexian Reclamation is the next enchantment. This is uh, one black is the cost for this one. And for one generic and a black mana and paying two life, you can return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So here's some of that recursion I'm talking about, right? And the nice thing is this is recursion, uh, not necessarily on a stick, right? Because there's no, it's not a creature, but it's recursion that sticks around. It's an enchantment. You can use it whenever you want, as long as, you know, your opponents don't destroy the enchantment. So this is a great card. If you've never seen the original art for Phyrexian Reclamation, uh, although I think when it was reprinted, this one actually does maintain the original art, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, it's fucking awesome. It's this necromancer raising this Phyrexian, you know, something from the dead, and it just, I, I, I love the art. I've loved it since the Urza block when it came out. Uh, and I love the flavor text on here. Death is no excuse to stop working. <laughs> I just think that's great. Uh, next enchantment is a new one, or uh, new-er, I should say, right? Um, as far as some of the other stuff in this deck. This is Phyrexian Scriptures. So this came from Dominaria. It's two generic and two black. It is a saga. So for those of you who may not know, as this saga enters the battlefield and, and, and after your draw step, add a lore counter. Sacrifice the enchantment after the third chapter of the saga. So chapter one, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. That creature becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. 
Uh, and then chapter two, destroy all non-artifact creatures. So essentially, uh, you're picking one to be saved in chapter one. And then in chapter two, you're destroying all non-artifact creatures. And then chapter three, exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. So this, again, this one doesn't really work with Shaldred, but it's a nice uh, little board wipe. And then a way to kind of fuck with recursion decks if, if you're playing against people who are looking to recycle cards from their graveyard. Uh, I do run propaganda in this, so that's a blue enchantment for two and a blue. Creatures can't attack you unless their controller pays two generic mana for each creature he or she controls that's attacking you. So again, you can tell there's a lot of taxing built into this deck, like I mentioned earlier. Norn's Annex, um, Ghostly Prison, Propaganda, uh, the next card, actually the next two, the last two enchantments here are also taxing um, enchantments. Ristic Study, of course, is in here. It's a uh, two and a blue. Whenever an opponent plays a spell, you may draw a card unless that payer, uh, player pays one generic mana. And then, of course, good old Smothering Tithe. Three and a white. Whenever an opponent draws a card, that player may pay two generic mana. If the player doesn't, you create a colorless treasure artifact token. And, of course, the treasure tokens read tap and sacrifice this artifact, add one mana of any color. So it's just another way to help me with my mana fixing. So there's a lot of ways to tax your opponent. People are not going to like this deck uh, and the things that a lot of it is doing. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of hate I draw from it as I play it. This deck, as of right now, runs one Planeswalker, and that Planeswalker is Venser the Sojourner. So he's an Azorius Planeswalker uh, from Scars of Mirrodin, I believe, uh, is the set he was in. Three generic, a white, and a blue. Uh, and he starts with three loyalty counters. You can add two loyalty to exile target permanent you control, return it to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. So he blinks stuff, right? Uh, if you're looking to trigger ETB stuff again or kind of save something from, you know, something else, uh, then, you know, you can blink it with, with Venser. Uh, minus one, this is the one that I like the most for this deck. Uh, you can minus, my, uh, take away one loyalty counter, minus one. Uh, creatures are unblockable this turn. So you'll, you'll see why when we get that far, but obviously anytime you can make your creatures unblockable, it's pretty great because that is uh, global, right? The whole, the whole table, nobody can block your stuff. So that comes in handy later. And then his, his ultimate or his limit break, as Tej would call it, uh, minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a spell, exile target permanent. Now I'm not playing him, trying to get him to his limit break and ultimate, uh, you know, in order to start exiling things. Anytime I cast a spell... So, like I said, I, I'm looking for that number two. The the minus one creatures are unblockable. But, you know, you never know where you're going to get in the game. So, I, I don't know. I Karn has a lot of a lot to do with Phyrexia and, and the lore. I'm not going to get into the whole story of it here. But I do want to know if maybe something would be worth... You know, if I decide I'm going to get rid of, like, Leyline of the Void or something like that, right? Then maybe do I put in a Karn Liberated? or a Karn Scion of Urza. I, I do like the fact that the Scion of Urza does generate the um, the Karnstructs, as, as I like to call them, the, the Construct tokens that are artifacts, and their power and toughness is equal to the number of artifacts you control. So I think he definitely is worthy of a spot in this deck if I want to try him out. And and Karn Liberated is just a, is just a great card, right? Um, let, me, let me pull that up real quick. Okay, yeah, so Karn Liberated uh, was first printed in New Phyrexia. He was reprinted in um, Ultimate Masters most recently. Uh, but he he is a 7 uh, CMC 
Planeswalker comes out with six loyalty plus four target player exiles a card from his or her hand uh, minus three to exile target permanent and his ultimate minus 14 restart the game leaving in exile all non aura permanent cards exiled with Karn liberated then put those cards onto the battlefield under your control so essentially he's removing things from the game and then you can restart the game and then start with those things already out without having to pay their casting costs so I think that I, that's not necessarily what this deck is trying to do though so i would say maybe scion of urza first just because of the way he works with artifacts that synergy there uh but i mean karn liberated is a great card too so maybe i try to put both karns in here I, I i don't know yet we'll see what the future holds for those uh we'll move on to spells next we'll start with instance this deck runs uh six instants so the first one abrupt decay this is from return to ravnica cost of black and a green it cannot be countered by spells or abilities so that's great and uh, it reads destroy target non-land permanent with converted mana cost three or less so just a good spot removal card i do have a cyclonic rift in here from also from return to ravnica uh one in a blue return target non-land permanent you don't control to its owner's hand or of course the the overload cost so that's six in a blue and if you pay the overload cost you may cast the spell for its overload cost if you do change its text by replacing all instances of target with each so essentially for seven mana you can wipe the entire board bounce everything that is a non-land permanent back to its owner's hands so this will reset that board state for you uh i do run an enlightened tutor in this deck so that's uh one white and it says search your library for an artifact or enchantment card and reveal that card shuffle your library then put the card on top of it so just uh you know if i need an enchantment i don't want to get ganged up on so i want a ghostly prison or a propaganda or even a rhystic study or a smothering tithe or I'm looking for a specific sword or maybe a different artifact for mana fixing uh, or ramp uh, or something, then that's when the Enlightened Tutor really comes in handy. I do run a Croson Grip in this deck. That's two and a green split second so as long as this spell is on the stack players can't cast spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities so this allows you to kind of uh slow the roll pump the brakes a little bit uh destroy target artifact or enchantment so some artifact and enchantment spot removal i do run utter end in this deck two and a white and a black uh exile target non-land permanent so that gets around your indestructibles you know things like that and then the last instant in this deck is vampiric tutor for one black mana you can pay two life search your library for any one card shuffle your library then put that card on top of your library uh this is a very pricey card because it's super utilized uh in edh and it's just a great freaking card so that one was pricey i didn't have one before i finally got one i bought the visions version because i'm a sucker for original art so super excited that actually should be here tomorrow i think uh although of course when you're listening to this on saturday i will have already had it for a day because today's thursday comes on friday this will probably come out on saturday so there you go a little bit of the uh time in the life of ryan here uh sorceries we got eight of them black sun zenith x and two black to put x minus one minus one counters on each creature and then shuffle shuffle black sun zenith back into its owner's library so this is a great way to do a board wipe if you want to especially if you're playing pesky token decks it's not too hard to come up with the mana for you know whatever those tokens are for x and then get it get them the hell out of there I like Black Sun Zenith a lot. Uh, Damnation, this is two and two black. Destroy all creatures. They can't be regenerated. Just a solid board wipe. Of course, no EDH deck that I run or that many people run with black, and it would be complete without Demonic Tutor. So for one and a black, you can search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, and then shuffle your library. 
Uh, Phyrexian Rebirth is next. So for four generic and two white, destroy all creatures. Then create an XX colorless horror artifact creature token where X is the number of creatures destroyed this way. So this is a fun little board wipe uh, that has a lot of Phyrexian flavor in it. That's really, you know, it's not the greatest card in the world, uh, but it's fun. It's definitely on flavor for this deck. So I wanted to put it in there. Uh, so it is, it's in here. Uh, reanimate is next. This, uh, the original art is just, is just absolutely badass. Robert Bliss did this, uh, for Tempest. If you haven't seen it, you got to look for it. It's, it's super cool for one black. You can put target creature card from any graveyard into play under your control. So after a board wipe, you got to reanimate and you want something somebody else had for whatever reason you can do that, or you can grab something, you know, from your own graveyard, which is great. I love the versatility of this card, especially for its casting cost. It's just one black. However, like any good black card, you do have to pay a little bit, lose life total to that creature's total casting cost. So whatever the CMC is, you're going to lose that much life. Still, it doesn't matter. EDH, you know, where you've got an inflated life total, life is a resource, use it to get what you need or what you want. I, I love reanimate. I've always loved that card. Uh, route is next three and two white you may cast route as though it had flash if you pay two more to cast it so it's five uh, cmc of five usually unless you want to uh, cast it as an instant then it's a cmc of seven and it says destroy all creatures they can't be regenerated so it's a worse damnation right essentially um because it's just more expensive uh, but you do have the option to pay even more for it uh, to play it at, at instant speed. So that is nice. Next is Torment of Hailfire. This is X and two black. Repeat the following process X times. Each opponent loses three life unless that player sacrifices a non-land permanent or discards a card. So this is another card that I know Tej and I have debated a while. You know, he, he wouldn't say it's a bad card, but he just doesn't like leaving that choice up to the opponent when he can force them to either discard or force them to sacrifice something, um, you know, depending on what he wants them to do or what his deck is trying to do uh and this one does give them the option but again if you get them after a board wipe and maybe they've got a really shitty hand and you pay enough for x they're still going to lose life anyway uh which is great and i do love the fact that this hits each opponent x amount of times so it's 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 good it's love spread all around the table right for for all of your opponents uh the last sorcery card we run in this deck is triumph of the hordes so of course what would a proliferate deck be without ways to get infect right triumph of the hordes is a green sorcery for two and two green until end of turn creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain trample and infect so that venser before that can make my creatures unblockable well i'll just tick him down by one and then i'm going to cast triumph of the hordes so all my creatures get plus one plus one i don't necessarily need the trample but hey now everybody's got infect so i only need to hit each of my opponents with all my creatures that are now unblockable for 10 points of damage and they all die because in commander your life total goes up to 40 but you still only need 10 poison counters and uh you are dead so love trying for the hordes that's one of the win cons in this deck and let's see what do we have left just the creatures so creature base there's 24 creatures total in this deck and the creature base is pretty freaking pricey especially starting with creature number one the blightsteel colossus this is an 11 11 trample infect creature for 12 mana uh artifact creature so it's just 12 you know cmc is 12 12 
of whatever mana you can tap to get him out there. Blightsteel Colossus is indestructible. If Blightsteel Colossus will be put into a graveyard from anywhere, reveal Blightsteel Colossus and shuffle it into its owner's library instead. So if this guy gets milled or if he gets discarded or whatever, as long as he's not exiled and he's just put into the graveyard, he's going back into your into your uh, into your library, which is awesome. Love this card a lot. Obviously, eleven eleven. In fact, all you got to do is get one hit, not blocked you know, in with him and somebody's out of the game. So love that card. Great Phyrexian theme to him. He's, he's in here. He is pricey, uh, but he's, he's awesome. He's pricey in, in monetary value and in casting cost, but I like that card a lot. Chancellor of the Annex is next. This is, uh, one of the chancellors, uh, from the chancellor cycle in new Phyrexia. This is the white one. So four and three white, you may reveal this card from your opening hand. If you do, when each opponent casts his or her first spell of the game, counter that spell unless that pair plays one. Uh, sorry, pays one. So essentially, you're increasing the casting cost of the first spell each player, um, each opponent, I should say, not player. Each opponent casts unless you know you're increasing it by one. Uh, or it's countered. So that's kind of cool. It, you know, kind of got that ley line feel where if it's in your opening hand, you can reveal it. It doesn't go on the board, uh, but you reveal it and then they got to pay extra to play their first spell or it's countered. Uh, five, six flying. And whenever, whenever an opponent casts a spell, counter it unless that pair plays one, uh, pays one generic mana. So, you know, it, it does the, it's, it's static ability is the, the same thing that you can do if you, start the game with it in your opening hand. I do run one other chancellor in this deck and that is the chancellor of the dross. So he is four generic and three black. He's a vampire six, six flying lifelink. Uh, you can reveal this card from your opening hand. If you do at the beginning of the first upkeep, each opponent loses three life. Then you gain life equal to the life lost this way. So if you play in a pot of four, like I usually do, and you start with this, then right off the bat, each opponent's losing three life and you are gaining three life, um, at the beginning of the first upkeep. So that's, not a bad way to start a game, right? A little bit of life ramp, if you will. Uh, next one is Consecrated Sphinx. This is a fucking great card. Ask Chanel about Sphinxes, uh, Sphinxes sometime. It's four generic and two blue, four six flyer, and whenever an opponent draws a card, you may draw two cards. So I was talking earlier about the card advantage you can generate with Phyrexian Arena. You can generate it great with Consecrated Sphinx as well. So he's in here. This is a card that's probably going to get hated the fuck off the board as soon as it's out there because it's just that powerful, uh, and it just gets more and more powerful the longer it's on the board for it because you're just generating insane amounts of card advantage uh every time an opponent takes a turn so be ready for this guy to not last at all uh now we've come to our first praetor and that is elish norn grand cenobite she is five and two white she is a four seven vigilance other creatures you control get plus two plus two which is fucking great buffs are cool and then creatures your opponents control get minus two minus two so if you're playing somebody who runs a lot of uh one one token decks then this is great because they die before they hit the board I run one Aziri Kala of Progress, two generic, a green, and a blue. He is a 3-3 elf warrior. Whenever a creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, you get an experience counter. Now you're going to find, or you're going to see that we don't have a lot of creatures that have power two or less, so we don't care so much about getting experience counters that way because we have 
a different way to get experience counters. And those of you who know about uh, experience counters in EDH, you already know where I'm going with this, and we'll get there shortly. But what we really care about for Azuri is at the beginning of combat on your turn, put X plus one plus one counters on another target creature you control, where X is the number of experience counters you have. So we can proliferate those experience counters, which then helps us to get X plus one plus one counters on another creature you control, which we can proliferate those and just kind of spread the love all around, you know, pumping creatures, proliferate doing all these things so we like Azuri a lot in this deck uh, we run Geth Lord of the Vault four generic and two black for a 5-5 five, five zombie with intimidate so he can't be blocked except by artifact creatures and or creatures that share a color with it so black creatures uh, for X and a black, put target artifact or creature card with converted mana cost X from an opponent's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control tapped. Then that player puts the top X cards of their library into their graveyard. So I, I like Geth a lot. Obviously, he's got a lot to do with uh, the Phyrexians, so he he made the deck. But I also think his card is, is, is pretty badass too, so happy to run him in this. Next is Galissa the Traitor. Uh, black and two green for a three three first strike death touch zombie elf whenever a creature an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield you may return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand so we really want those swords right and we also want to be able to ramp our mana and do other things and if people start getting rid of our artifacts well then we've got someone like glissa who allows us to get them back anytime a creature an opponent controls is put in the graveyard uh, from the battlefield, though. It does specify from the battlefield, so we can't mill a creature and then say, oh, I'm going to grab something. It's, it's got to die in the battle, uh, uh, on the battlefield and then hit the graveyard. Uh, next, we got another Praetor, Jin Gitaxis Pro Augur, or Core Augur. Jeez, where am I getting that name from? Jin Gitaxis Core Augur. Uh, he is 8 and 2 blue, so this dude's super pricey, but he's super great. He is a 5-4 Praetor with Flash. At the beginning of your end step, draw 7 cards, and each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by 7. So opponents can't have a hand size unless they've got like a Reliquary Tower or something else out that trumps his effect, but uh, he's cool as hell. He'll get hated off the board too uh, in one way, shape, or form. But I, I, I think he's cool. All the Praetors are cool. You'll see that we've got four of the five, obviously, because Atraxa doesn't have red in her casting cost, so alas, Urabrask is not in this deck. But I am working on an Urabrask build uh, as well. That's a that's a story for a different day. The next creature in this deck is Carrick or Crick or Carrick or however the fuck you want to pronounce it, Son of Yogmith. So he is four generic and three black Phyrexian mana. Again, Phyrexian mana can be played with either the color mana that they are, in this case black, or two life. Uh, he's a 2-2 lifelink horror minion. For each uh, swamp, or I should say for each black mana symbol in a cost, you may pay two life rather than pay that mana. So he turns every swamp or black mana in a casting cost uh, into black Phyrexian mana. So uh, you don't have enough you know, black man on the board to do what you want to do. Well, guess what? You can pay life for it instead. And then whenever you cast a black spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Carrick's son of Yogmith. So that's pretty cool that he's pumpable uh, anytime you cast a black spell because this deck's got a lot of them in it. Next is Massacre Worm. This is a 6-5 worm for 3 and 3 black. When it enters the battlefield, creatures your opponents control get minus 2, minus 2 until end of turn. So this wipes out some small pesky creatures. And whenever a creature an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, that player loses 2 life. So playing somebody with a token deck or somebody with a small creature deck, elves, you know, things like that, uh, it's a good way to get a little bit of a mini board wipe or a big board wipe depending on the board state. 
and also to force your opponents to lose life when they lose their creatures. So like Masker Worm a lot. Uh, I was talking about experience counters before, and for those of you who guessed it, you were right. The car uh, creature I was talking about is Marin of Clan Nell Toth. She is a 3-4 human shaman for two, a black, and a green. And whenever another creature you control dies, you get an experience counter. So this is going to happen a hell of a lot more than us putting creatures with power two or less on the battlefield. I'll tell you that much. Then at the beginning of your end step, choose target creature card in your graveyard. If that card's converted mana cost is less than or equal to the number of experience counters you have, return it to the battlefield. Otherwise, put it into your hand. So we can proliferate experience counters and really get some value generated off of Marin uh, to pull some shit back out of our graveyard with all the different ways we have to proliferate uh, in this deck, which is awesome. So we're, we're ramping our experience counters and our recursion uh, right there. I told you Odric is in this deck. We run uh, Odric's Lunark Marshal. So he is from Shadows over Innistrad for three and a white. He's a 3-3 human soldier. The reason he's in this deck is because he reads at the beginning of each combat, uh, creatures you control gain first strike until end of turn. If a creature you control has first strike, the same is true for flying, death touch, double strike, haste, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, skulk, trample, and vigilance. So what we want to do is we want to have like a Venser on the board and then we want to have a um, Triumph of the Hordes in our hand and then we want to have a Traxa already in the battlefield and then we want to cast uh, Odric and hope that he resolves because if he's out there while Atrax is out there, suddenly all of our creatures have Flying, Vigilance, Death Touch, and Lifelink, which is just fucking nuts. Uh, and then if you can get the, you know, if you can get him to have Infect too, the Triumph of the Hordes or something, uh, suddenly you're just, you're damn near unstoppable. So he's, he's in this deck, uh, for that reason. So again, in our little story, Atraxa brought him to Phyrexia to aid her in completing, uh, her mission, right? The Phyrexian completion. Um, he's been completed and he is lending his services by completing other things and, and, you know, passing on his skill set uh, to them. So that's what Odric's doing here in my story for this deck. Uh, Phyrexian Metamorph, this is uh, an artifact creature. It's a shapeshifter for three and a blue Phyrexian mana. Uh, it's a zero, zero. You may have Phyrexian Metamorph enter the battlefield as a copy of any artifact or creature on the battlefield, except it's an arti- artifact in addition to its other types. So this is just a clone, right? Uh, stay away from legendaries because it, this one does not specify that the uh, copy is not legendary so if it's a copy of a legendary that you control uh, don't do that or you might have to sacrifice not might have to you will have to sacrifice one of them at the end of your turn so keep that in mind uh, but I like Phyrexian Metamorph a lot uh, next is Phyrexian Obliterator this card is just fucking awesome in like mono black devotion decks and just anything in general where you know that he's going to take some damage because for 4 black mana you get a 5-5 five, five trample uh, whenever a source deals damage to Phyrexian Obliterator that source's controller sacrifices that many permanents so you want to block this thing fine you want to attack me when it's on the board fine get ready to sacrifice up to 5 permanents <laughs> uh, if not more so yeah it's I, I love Phyrexian Obliterator. He's great in the stack. Uh, next one is another Praetor. It is the Black Praetor, Shaledred, Whispering One, five generic and two black mana for a six-six swamp walk. So if your opponent controls any swamps, Shaledred is unblockable. At the beginning of your upkeep, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So hey, there's some recursion. And then at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player sacrifices a creature. So that's pretty cool too. Uh, we get to bring car, uh, creatures back and our opponents have to sacrifice creatures and it's 
each opponent's upkeep, so all of our opponents are sacrificing creatures for as long as she's on the board. Have you been able to tell that the CMC for most of these uh, creatures is extremely high? This is why I was telling you mana fixing and mana ramp are very important uh, early on. So don't keep a hand with two mana, uh, or you're taking your life into your own hands, kind of. You, you definitely need it in this deck. Next creature is Scytherix, the Blight Dragon. Three generic and two black. He's one of my favorites. He is a 4-4 Dragon Skeleton with flying and infect. So this creature deals damage to creatures in the form of minus one, minus one counters, and to players in the form of poison counters. Uh, for one black, Scytherix Scytherix the Blight Dragon gains haste until end of turn, so if you have enough mana, you can attack with him immediately. And for two black mana, you can regenerate Scytherix. So if you don't have a way of recursion, but you do have enough mana to regenerate him before he dies, well, guess what? You can do that, and then he'll come back. So Scytherix is fucking awesome. He's another pricey creature, uh, but it's just because he's so awesome. Uh, Spellskite is next. This is another uh, artifact creature from uh, new Phyrexia, I believe. Uh, two generic mana and a uh, um, for a zero four horror for one blue Phyrexian mana. You can change a target of target spell or ability to Spellskite, so you can redirect things uh, to Spellskite, which is awesome. You can do that with one blue land or two life, whatever you want to do. I really enjoy that card a lot. Uh, Suture Priest is next. This is uh, one of the few commons in the deck. It's a one one cleric for a generic and a white. Whenever another creature you control enters the battlefield or sorry let me actually read it the way it's printed whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control you may gain one life so you can gain life uh anytime creatures enter the battlefield under your control and whenever a creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's control you may have that player lose one life so you can make your opponent pay for or uh, you know they're 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 paying mana to cast their creatures but they're also paying life uh to cast creatures so that's pretty cool and also on flavor uh, Trophy Mage is next. This one's not super on flavor, but it works really well synergistically with the deck. So it's a 2-2 wizard for two and a blue. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost three, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. My God, wouldn't you know, things like Chromatic Lantern, Commander Sphere, Mimic Vad, and every fucking sword in this deck all have a converted mana cost of three and all are artifacts. That's why Trophy Mage is in this deck. Next, we got Volrath the Shape Stealer. So this is a, a, a card from the newest commander set. For two, a black, a green, and a blue, you get a 7-5 shapeshifter that reads, at the beginning of combat on your turn, put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature. So when it says up to, you can you can refuse to put it on or I should say choose not to put it on, uh, or you can put it on one creature. And then for one generic mana, until your next turn, Volrath the Shape Stealer becomes a copy of target creature with a counter on it, except it's a 7-5 and it has this ability. So that's kind of cool. You can use him to, uh, you know, shape shift into creatures your opponent has or into creatures that you have. But uh, if you do it on your opponent and you put the minus one, minus one creature on it, or uh, counter on the creature, that counter doesn't go away at the end of your next turn. So that counter stays, which means you can proliferate those counters too and eventually get rid of those creatures, which is which is awesome. Next creature is one of the most hated in EDH and magic in general, but EDH is probably where he sees the most play, is Vorinclex, Voice of Hunger. People will fucking hate you for playing this card, but 
it's great when you're the one who plays them. Six generic and two green for a 7-6 Praetor with Trample. Whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana to your mana pool of any type that land produced. So, okay, great, great. But what's even cooler is whenever an opponent taps a land for mana, that land doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So now you're really making your opponent think about how badly they want to play whatever it is they're going to play because they're not going to get that mana back next turn. They essentially are taking a turn off uh, equal to the amount of mana they spend that turn so just really he's handed off the board really really fast he's a i don't know 20 dollar card uh whatever he is he usually sits around and there's a reason for it because he's super powerful especially in a format like edh uh worm coil engine is next this is a six six death touch lifelink worm artifact creature for six generic mana when it dies create a three three colorless worm artifact creature token with death touch and a three three colorless worm artifact creature token with lifelink so worm coil engine is awesome this card always hovers around 20 to 25 dollars it's a great mythic it was reprinted in commander anthology 2 um I don't know if it's been reprinted since then. I don't think it has. I think just it was reprinted because it was part of that Atraxa deck, and that's why it made another appearance. It's an awesome card. Whether you run it in a deck like this or just any deck, uh, I it's it's a great card. So if you don't have one, highly recommend picking one up. And the last card, number 100 in this deck, is the last creature. That would be Yogmith Thran Physician. You can't have a deck about Phyrexia without the new Yogmith in it, right? So he's a 2-4 human cleric for 2 and 2 black. He's got protection from humans, which is more of a modern thing. But there are human decks in EDH as well. Uh, pay 1 life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus 1, minus 1 counter on up to 1 target creature, and draw a card. Hey, this works great with proliferate and guess what for two black and discarding a card yogmith also lets you proliferate so we're getting proliferation triggers from yogmith from atraxa uh from our con- uh contagion um blah, 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 the contagion engine and you know just it's it's awesome and then what was it uh what sword proliferates uh, truth and justice that proliferates so there's a lot of ways in this deck to proliferate and that's that's it. That's the Atraxa deck I've been working on. Uh, pretty pretty exhaustive discussion on it here. Um, it was a decent investment in money. I had maybe half the stuff I needed for this, so I I sunk a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of planning, and a lot. It was a labor of love because of how much I love the Phyrexians and uh, some of the stuff the Phyrexian cards do, but specifically the lore and the flavor that come with those cards. So once I get a chance to play test it even more, and especially once I get a chance to actually play it in paper, we'll, we'll revisit it. Uh, we won't do the whole deck list. I will publish the deck list uh, in the show notes though, so that you can just reference it there, or I'll just put a link to my architect uh, page with this in it. Uh, and you can see it that way. Either way, whether I publish it word for word or have a link or do both, it, it will be be there so that you can reference it outside of this podcast but i'll uh, i'll touch back uh on this one once i've had a chance to play it in paper and let you guys know what i think uh and what you know we'll get chanel and Teach's opinion too because they're my favorite edh buddies so they're definitely going to play against this deck and uh yeah I, I really hope it's as fun for me to play and pilot as it was for me to brainstorm and brew and build and uh, i hope it was as much fun for you guys to to listen about it as it was for me to talk about it i think it's it's going to be a ton of fun thank you guys for listening we're going to be back next week uh all three of us should be all three of us i believe and we'll kind of wrap up the year uh talk about maybe some you know magic new year's resolutions we have going into 2020 things we want to do or things we'll do differently or or whatever 
and and kind of just wrap up the year. Thank you guys so much for being with us. We've been doing this for just over a year now. I know it's not the most consistent thing all the time, but it's something that we absolutely love to do. And we can't thank you enough for tuning in and listening, downloading the show, leaving us comments online, whether it's, uh, you know, episode comments on things like iTunes or jumping into the, the community or just the main uh, Facebook page that we have and dropping us lines there, shooting us messages through Messenger, you know, whatever way you guys are getting a hold of us thank you so much because it just it really motivates us and it makes us feel so good to know that there are people who enjoy listening um to our banter and our love for the game and just the bullshit that we talk about whether it's magic or something else that we go off on a tangent on uh it means a lot that you guys care enough to say hey when are you coming back or hey you know this one really struck a nerve with me i i really enjoyed this or you guys are fucking idiots because of this that or the other thing positive negative whatever the feedback is it's great thank you guys so much uh like I said, we'll be back at full strength next week. But in the meantime, please rate, review, and subscribe and tell a friend. They can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, anywhere you consume your podcasts. If you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. Just search Homebrew Magic. Uh, you know the logo from our podcast. You will find us there. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, don't drink and scry. <laughs>